Caesar's Palace. Shit. Madison Square. Fuck. Let me try it again. Toronto for some fucking reason. It's WrestleMania X8 this week on Nothing Good. Welcome, everyone, to Nothing Good WrestleMania X8. This is uh, Herb Jones, joined by Jeff Vanegar, David Dolan, and Noah Brown here. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? We are smack dab in the, in the beginning of spring. It's WrestleMania season. It's the best time to be a wrestling fan. What's going on? It's a, it's a great time to be alive, they say. Woo! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> i mean there's so, doing great listen there's so much like energy at just in that intro that i mean i i i was not even prepared i should have i could tell it was pretty <laughs> amazing your face I mean, was fantastic yeah i'm it's like, like oh, oh this is what we're doing huh? this is where right. we're we're, I, we're right into it <laughs> like do i try to do like a mean gene or do i try to do a uh i mean do i i don't know i just didn't know so here i am yeah riveting podcast chatter <laughs> yes well it's listen incredible. I'm, I'm really excited to be here we're going to talk about one of the in my, actually revisiting one of my favorite wrestlemanias now of all time it's just such a stacked card an amazing set of matches um i know that everybody thinks about brock and hogan when yes. you think about wrestlemania uh 18 but there's so much more going on in the show outside of that um but we're going to get right into it um wait before wait, i go, go ahead please wait wait what? because what? i love to do my mandatory explain to everyone what's happening in the world of wrestling before the show starts but there are were you going to throw us into our pre-show ritual i was go i was thinking about it until you, you so rudely interrupted me you but, motherfucker you know. then you go ahead i'm the asshole i'm the I mean, asshole let's be fair. listen guys yeah. Guys, this WrestleMania was in Toronto. You guys got to shift to the metric system a little bit, get that exchange rate going on the timing here. Oh, I thought we were supposed to apologize incessantly to each other. Sorry, eh? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry. Well, I'll start sorry. what yeah, I'm sorry. drinking this fine evening. Uh, I am having uh, a bottle of uh, Dragon's Milk, uh, specifically the bourbon barrel aged stout from New Holland Brewing, uh, 11% alcohol. So, God bless America. Excellent. I'll step in here. I am drinking Mars Double IPA from Bell's Brewing. Get How many more of those do you have? I just bought a new six pack. <laughs> I liked it, and it was. I, I always try to find something interesting when I'm when I, I go to the six pack shop, but I don't know what the fuck is wrong with my local distributor because it's it's like all sours and all 
trulies and shit. And then so I don't even know. I don't know. Maybe they're going through hard times and I'm not trying to give them a hard night, but get your ass to Mars. Nice. I am drinking a Dreamweaver wheat ale from Trogues Brewing. It's a lighter beer. It's four and a half percent, but starting off easy as we ease our way into this epic pay-per-view. Mm. Yes. You know, and in hindsight, I really should have stopped at the store and got a six pack of, uh, of Molson because that's uh, what Stone Cold was crushing at the end of his match against uh, Scott Hall and featuring Kevin Nash. Um, but whereas Jeff is going into this episode like a lamb, Mac is coming out like a fucking lion because I'm sticking with the hard <laughs> shit, everybody. I'm oh, sticking, with, sticking with the rum. You've been drinking rum for a month. I got a <laughs> when you say it like I, that, not a lot of rum, man. <laughs> we, we've really, we've really been enjoying the rum lately. Oh, well, I, I feel like, so I feel like gentlemen, that it brings a little bit of that Davo Mac into the end of the podcast a little bit. Uh, you know, the, 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 the wild and crazy uh, persona of our early and mid twenties. So cheers, gents. Cheers to drink you. To that, I'll drink to Mac. And so we commence here onto this journey, gentlemen. Uh, this is a huge show for three reasons. We'll cover all of them, but let's start with the first reason: is that this is the first time that we've covered a WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of the, I can't believe that you exist, but few people that listen to our show that doesn't watch a lot of wrestling and has never watched a WrestleMania. What I don't understand what you're fucking doing here but it's the super bowl of wrestling if you're international it's the world cup of wrestling except it happens a lot more often uh but this one this particular version wrestlemania 18 stylized as wrestlemania x8 march 17 2002 live from toronto ontario canada first sidebar i just want to say uh very recently within the last few weeks the Disney Plus has released a new film called Turning Red from Disney Pixar. Has anyone caught this one as of recording no. yet? No. My wife and kids have watched it, but I have not. This film takes place in May of 2002 in Toronto, meaning oh. that the characters of that film are all aware of the existence of <laughs> WrestleMania 18. And that was fucking canon. When you go into watching that, they don't really address it. But it's there. How could it not be? It's this fucking show, right? So just that's your first sidebar. But here we are in 2002. And gentlemen, this is important for other two uh, two more very distinctive reasons. Number two, this is the final pay-per-view in which the company was known as WWF. In the very In the course of the next month, they would switch to the WWE that they are now known because they fucking lost their shit to pandas. And history has been forever changed and because of that and because of the star power that moves and shifts in the ages gentlemen this is the last pay-per-view of the attitude era the attitude era we start on our wrestlemania journey as a podcast with the end of the attitude era so it's very interesting as we approach here all all the factors that are going in and out of this and this is the first pay-per-view to happen uh first wrestlemania excuse me to happen since the purchase of wcw and ecw and so you started getting little drippy drips in last year's wrestlemania x7 but this is the one where a lot of those guys are actually on this fucking show and it absolutely shows 
But let's get started with the context, right? So the entire basis of the show is generally centered centered around four key matches going on. Now, this is the Attitude Era. So almost every single thing actually has a storyline attached to it. (laughs) Either it was made a week before on Raw, as is our European title match, or has been started since the dawn of man, or like it seems like it with the um, Triple H and Chris Jericho feud. But here we are, four key matches. The highlight of it, centered around, is obviously what is, can we just say it now? The biggest WrestleMania match in the history of professional wrestling, The Rock versus Hulk Hogan, is undisputably the biggest match that has ever existed. And until there's another boom period in wrestling, there could never be another match that big. Ever. But it's centered around that, and that's part of the whole NWO invasion that's going on right now in the WWF. Because Vince McMahon, in order to... So, storyline, Vince McMahon has split ownership with Ric Flair. We'll get more on that in a minute. But in order, if he can't be in control of his company, he's going to fucking kill it. And who knows how better to take a huge, hugely successful, popular fucking wrestling organization and run it straight into the ground like Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. So he brings them all in. And that's his grandmaster plan. And they immediately start feuding with the two guys who give a shit, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, who appears on this pay-per-view in its entirety stone cold does for approximately 11 minutes which is fucking <laughs> shocking that here we are in 2002 and that's all he gets but he's about to take his ball and go home so those two main matches there austin versus the outsiders and hogan versus the rock round out the top of the card right in the middle is our world championship feud. in december of 2001 chris jericho became the first undisputed champion Unifying the WCW and WWF championship belts. Coming back from injury at the Royal Rumble the next month was Triple H, who tore his quad and somehow magically put on 90 pounds of mass in the process. Coming back as the vengeful denim jacket wearing babyface, coming out to Motorhead and for some strange reason, always looking like he's constipated. There's your main event. Should it be? I'm sure we'll cover that. Jericho's now managed by Triple H's ex wife and longtime nemesis stephanie stephanie mcmahon helmsley um insert quote about feminist ideals here because that's that's just it's just a bad look it's just a bad look but rounding out our fourth main event speaking of rick flair and vince mcmahon is rick flair going one-on-one with the undertaker the undertaker beat the shit out of arn anderson and david flair and vince mcmahon uh, rick flair is like fuck it and here we are it's all you need it's all you got to have because this fucking show goes. Gentlemen, it's WrestleMania X8. Are we ready? Born ready. Ready as we're going to be. Let's do it. No, I have one question to ask you before we begin the actual show. It is the, the spring of 2002 here. Were all of us watching this as the show was happening at this time? Were we all active wrestling fans at that time? Yep. Yep. I wasn't, but I still watched it. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Well, this is this is all fresh in some of our teenage and young adult collective memories. And damn it, let's get going to it. So first up, before any matches, as if the show needed you to immediately be reminded that it's 2000 and fucking two, we get a performance by Saliva. <laughs> and and no, not that song. No. And wait, not that song either. Not the other one. Not the other one, one you completely didn't ask for, 
but that's the one you got. That's the one. And it's almost like the singer of Saliva with the band kind of doing stuff in the background for how it's mixed. Oof. Oh, yeah, it was it bad. Was, it was laughably bad. It was really bad. It was, it, was... It, it may be long for a Jeff Jarrett performance. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> it, yeah. it was it was so bad that Jeff reached out to me with that exact statement. He's <laughs> like, did you start watching this yet again? And I said, no, why? He's like, Saliva's performance at the beginning of the show makes me yearn yearn in his loins for <laughs> jeff jarrett's performance oh yeah, i was not was, a fan not a fan it was not good not not great not great not even the button-up wrestlemania x8 shirt that he was absolutely sweating through five minutes <laughs> five seconds in could save that performance there's a lot of heat in toronto mm, yeah yeah so true, i do want to i do want to uh, I do wanna mention uh and to get away from saliva and everything that is saliva i i want to mention that like that intro to the pay-per-view that like you know history nostalgia man i'm not gonna lie it's funny i forgot how many times i watched this show and i'm like consistently reminded through the entire sitting but like i remember all of this this intro like injected nostalgia into my veins i was getting so fired up you know like the old school, the new school, the, the just giving you that WrestleMania is a, a moment in time, blah, 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 blah. And all these, these big burly wrestlers getting real serious about fake fighting. I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, that intro got me so ready for everything else that came. Um, I love the WWE, WWF. They're just so good at that. That really selling nostalgia. Because at this point, 2022, WWE... Wrestling is just, I think, in a weird way, nostalgia. Like we just yeah. talked about Attitude Era and all that, and what we wish things were like, and that's yeah. that's why we watch it because we we're hoping to get back to that point well, that we're never going to get back to. But I digress. I apologize. I just that intro just was so much to me. It no, just brought me back. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is that for as bad as the saliva point uh, is, it almost makes this even better of an intro. Uh, because in my opinion, this saliva song that opens up the goddamn broadcast is the weakest point in the entire show. It really is. Minus maybe one or two odd promos and random backstage hardcore segments that don't really make a lot of sense. Uh, They're still, I mean, I'd rather watch watch, uh, Hurricane miss his big swing on a rope kick a thousand times and watch the fucking saliva show again. So it's all uphill, dramatically uphill from that that video package forward. So it's incredible. There, there were a lot of emotions that I felt while watching this once again, because there are so many elements in this pay-per-view that I love, wrestlers that I love, wrestlers that I admire, wrestlers who are my favorite. And on the other side of it, there are wrestlers in this pay-per-view that I hate with an unbridled passion. And one of them, I remembered why I hated him so much. And the other one, it was very conflicted because it was a version of him that I actually really liked. I know who you're talking about. I know you know who I'm talking about. And it (laughs) made me hate him more. I love it. Um, (laughs) So, so yeah. Yeah. I, um, a lot, a lot of feels, man, watching, watching back on this. Feel heavy show. Feel heavy show. But speaking of feels. They're like, oh, here's this shitty saliva. Here's this badass intro. Here's fireworks that you frankly don't really get at wrestling shows anymore 20 years later. And then fucking Rob Van Dam in 2002. 
Oh, coming out very young Rob his, Van yes first Wrestlemania appearance so for and our first ad for forcible entry which is so interesting because between between the forcible entry comments um <laughs> and all of King and his his comments that he keeps making throughout uh the Edge and Booker T match and the Kane and Kurt Angle match there's a lot of less than consensual sex jokes all throughout this show, including the name of the fucking album, Forcible Entry. It's like, yeah. What, yeah, what follows a forcible <laughs> entry? Nothing good. Yeah, nothing it, good. It, that's right. It did not age well, that's no. for sure. But our first match for the Intercontinental Championship, Rob Van Dam challenges the defending William Regal in an Intercontinental title match. Guys, what do you think of this one? Well, uh, I'd say that uh, Regal... Once again, as always, looking like he's 43 years old, uh, put on a hell of a fight. Uh, I think if you're going to open WrestleMania, if you're going to open one of the biggest pay-per-views in WrestleMania history, uh, you know, having Rob Van Dam and Steven Regal, Lord Steven Regal, uh, to open that show is not a bad decision. Um, I'm going to keep it real brief. I thought the match was excellent. Uh, It was a lot of fun. It was hard hitting. It was quick. It was like six minutes and change. And it's funny. As soon as that match started, I remembered why I loved it. One spot, one, the half Nelson suplex. I was just going to say it, Jones. I know exactly where you're going with it. When I was 20 years old, it does it for me now. Every time I see that shit, I'm like, God damn, it looks like you fucking murdered it. But I love that it looked like it. Um, But the match was great. The the finish was was fun. It wasn't anything special, but it was, uh, the crowd was hot. The crowd was hot the entire show pretty much. Yeah. Uh, They were just ready for everything. They were in it. Rob Van Dam uh, did not, did not uh, disappoint. And, Conflicting styles, but two pros made it work. 100%. Mac, how do you feel about this one? Well, um, I, I I just had two words that I, I really kind of like came to mind when I was watching it. And I, I went back and I rewatched it. Clean and crisp. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this is, I think this is, this is the second um, pay-per-view that uh, Mr. Uh, Regal, uh, had a match. Yes, uh, that we've reviewed. Yes, that we've reviewed, and it's just like to me, it's just consistency. You know, I I would I never really appreciated Regal uh, for his time as a wrestler, and you know, kind of looking back on things and being able to realize, you know, his ability as a wrestler, his ability to work with people of all sorts of different styles, um, and you know, his purpose. You know what he what he is able to do, um, and what he has done for the WWE in that time that he's been there. Um, you know, I just have a lot of respect for him, and this match just made me, um, you know, realize that. Um, you know, y- you mentioned something interesting too here on that uh, that this was a it was a six minute nineteen second match. Um, you were able to have a really good WrestleMania match in six minutes and nineteen seconds. I think WWE could go and take a look back on that and realize that not every WrestleMania match has to be a 20 minute match. It doesn't have to always be a 20 minute banger that they're not all supposed to be that way because when they're all 20 minute matches, it takes away from the matches that should be 20 minute matches and not a single one of these matches reached the 20 minute mark. Not even, um, not even the two of the big matches. Even the main ones, yeah. And, and when I, I remember when I turned it on, and I looked at the card and I looked at the runtime 
And so it was like three hours and 48 minutes, three hours, 54 minutes. Like, oh man. But it was just the, the, the pacing of a lot of these matches. Now, a couple of them I thought could have used a little bit more time. But um, I, I had the same thoughts that you had, Jones. That that half Nelson suplex was just brutal. Um, I loved it. It was a great spot. Um, didn't take away at all from the match. Um, I like Regal going for the second set of Rass Nucks. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just it's just one for each set of nuts that he has down there. Just you know, just hanging, <laughs> just, just hanging. There's a visual there. His there. His, <laughs> his 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 English his English Earl Grey tea bags just dangling, just <laughs> clanking around, just and clanking trunks. around down there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome match. Um, I had this rated as my fifth favorite match of the night. I rated my top five. I had this one at number five. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I, I really I really like this match. And, you know, Herb hit the nail on the head in terms of how well executed it was for how conflicting their styles are. I mean, RVD brought like that raw ECW style. And Regal is just like, he's a classically trained dude. Like he's going for classic moves. But they were able to play off each other so well, and the pacing was great. The action was great. I thought it was a great match start to finish, and it was it was a good way. I mean, for as stacked as the card is, I think it was a good it was a good play to lead off with this match as opposed to the next next match, which I wasn't a big fan of. Um, but I, I think this match was was a really great start. And you mentioned something really great there, Jeff, about their conflicting styles because you know RVD goes he's a quick pace um and and regal just slowed it down every chance he could just to take the pacing off and they complement each other so well yep 100 and i think that's one of the notes i have is that I, I feel like a lot of wrestlers today model themselves after rob van dam as far as that mix of martial arts and high spots uh and taking just sick nasty bumps any chance they get but RVD, the reason why he was so damn successful, and it shows in this match, wrestling with somebody who's not going to take those types of bumps, but will let Rob Van Dam kick them right in the mouth in the opening spot of the match and bleed from it, is because RVD sells. Regal did anything to him, and RVD sold it. He didn't, like, like and then pop back up like nothing was happening. When he took a bump and held his ribs, even when after he kicks uh, Regal on his next shine, he's still holding the ribs. It's like those little things that we don't fucking get anymore. That makes this six and a half minutes feel like an epic 12-minute match. Yeah, because they're, they're telling a story. And they are. And it's what also is Clash of Styles is more clashing in 2002 than hardcore stoner airbrush singlet Rob Van Dam and Her Majesty's favorite wrestler, Sir William Regal. It was excellent. Uh, I've forgotten how badass William Regal's music is because we haven't heard. That's like his last theme. And he had it yeah. since 2002 in that whole fucking like sinister British. Someone's mm-hmm. like, I've got an idea for Saul. Just make it sinister and British. Yeah, just a classic awesome. Bond villain. Like Make it sound like you. that. Yeah, I, got <laughs> I like you. the Bond villain. Yes. Yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> uh, but I loved it. I loved how um, the, Rob Van Dam only got one of his signature spots in the entire time before the finish happens. You don't have to get all your shit in in six minutes. The match is usually better because the heel keeps countering it. Um, but I fucking loved it. And also, it's rare, it seems like, uh, at, for the next 20 years after the show, that we'd get an intercontinental title match that's any goddamn good at WrestleMania. <laughs> so, and for so long, yes. that was like the half the reason you watched the fucking <laughs> WrestleMania was the intercontinental title match being great. 
So um, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved how it was. Uh, the only thing I didn't love is I, if they you any more time you would have given them, I'm sure they would have used to their effectiveness. I gave this thing four besmirchings out of five. <laughs> well, no, you, you kind of mentioned something interesting about the Intercontinental title and how we just we haven't really had an Intercontinental title that's meant a damn thing. Um, the fact that this pay-per-view has two title belts. I think is the reason for that. You know, the fact that you had a world heavyweight championship and the WWE championship, and for a long time you had one belt on each brand, and now you just have the brand belt they have now, you know, having two major champions that run a show, I do think takes away from what the Intercontinental title was, because that was the belt that you needed for that second rung of guys looking to prove themselves. You know, those that middle card and you know. Yeah, you don't necessarily have that middle card as much anymore as uh, as you did. That's a good point. Speaking of titles that have, are way down the list, and you're kind of wondering what they're even doing there today, our next contest, before the promo, first of all, I'm not even going to mention the Christian promo, because as we all know, I really like Christian, like a lot, like a lot. Yes, and uh, to the fact that here's the dear listener, when we were playing the Royal Rumble drinking game at the 2021 Royal Rumble and Christian came back, I was hammered at that point in the show, and I just started crying all night uh, until I fell asleep crying and peed myself a little bit. Like, so I blame Christian for that. So I really <laughs> like Christian, but it pains me to say that his the promo that happens before this should never be mentioned by another human being <laughs> ever. It's true. Uh, but our next match for the European Championship, because remember, that was the thing for a while. Christian. Fresh off of his uh, his breakup with Edge within the last year, goes against the European champion Diamond Dallas Page. Jones, what do you think of this one? Uh, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> echo your sentiments. Uh, this version of Christian, uh, he had not found himself yet. Uh, he's a ways away from Captain Charisma. The way you know, my, my favorite iteration of the character of Christian was. You know, a couple years later down the line, before he went to TNA uh, and made the jump, I think he was really just hitting the stride. It's, it's, I still wonder sometimes where he'd be if he had not gone to TNA. Uh, but I think the match itself uh, was okay. I mean, it wasn't bad by any stretch. I mean, DDP is a very capable performer, and so is Christian. Um, I think for watching this match, I, I, it reminds me of had such a wasted opportunity and a wasted run with Diamond Dallas Page because, man, DDP, 97, 98, 99 even, DDP was, like, over, like, Rover, man. Like, Diamond Dallas, listen, Diamond Dallas Page, I realize now as I'm older how much of a mark for the Diamond Cutter I was as a teenager. Oh, yeah, bad. That shit, I would pop in my living room (laughs) when he went bang, you know what I mean? Um, so, I'm going, I don't want to jump on you, but that move no, no. is still so badass that all Randy yeah. Orton did was add jumping to it, and it's still massively fucking over 20 yes. years after this fucking show. Yeah, I think, and I think we should at some point do just maybe like uh, an episode on Diamond Dallas Page, honestly, because the dude is incredibly impressive for what he did at his age in professional yeah. wrestling. But regardless, the match itself. Uh, not the Flash's diamond cutter either, unfortunately. And I feel like the match didn't feel great. It, it was serviceable. You know, it's hard to follow that 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 opening match. The opening match was fire. So you know, DDP Christian should have had a better match. Six minutes, 
uh, uh, solid performance. Um, it was all right. It was like a like a like a, a solid three star match. It wasn't bad at all whatsoever. Mac, thoughts I on had the, I had this match in my top five until I got to the sixth match of the pay per view. Um, it it felt like so. First off, I I, I want I put a comment in here because it it, it I, I felt this. I really felt this. That promo that Christian cuts reminded me so much of your character in Foosball when you're doing the Afterburners <laughs> commercial. You know, I, I know that there was some wrestling, you know, um, some some you know motivation behind that. You know, oh, there was inspiration yeah. towards it. But it really felt like if I just kind of put you going Afterburners, right, with Christian going, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm all I'm all for it. Um, it felt like there was supposed to be other, th- it's just, the wrestlers didn't feel like they're on the same page to me, like, especially near the end of the match and towards the finish. Like when, when diamond Dallas page went to do the diamond cutter, it, it was almost like he like was looking at Christian to do something. And then he's like, Oh, diamond cutter. And then like hit it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I do love that move. Um, I think Jones, you and I had a conversation a long time ago that, you know, wrestlers finishing moves should be able to be done anywhere at any time. That's that's like the key to a really great finishing move for a wrestler. Um, so as much as I enjoy Ray Mysterio's 619, it's it, it it's so it just never makes sense to me because the only time anybody ever falls into a rope like that in a wrestling match is wrestling Ray Mysterio. Yeah. But like that's that's the thing I love about the RKO and the diamond cutter and you know the the rock bottom and and the stunner and just it just it can it just out of nowhere just do it any time when when the time's right to to get the to get the move in um, but yeah it just it just felt like this match to me left a little bit to be desired um, I wanted more from this match than I got um, I do realize that you had wrestlers kind of at different points you kind of wish you could take Christian at his peak and put him in that match and wonder what they would have been able to tell and that, but yeah, this match was just very mad to me, you know, the way that I kind of felt about it too far. Yeah. I think this match was average at best. Um, I love DDP and he was in, you know, peak shape at this point uh, in his, in his career. He, He looked fantastic and he could move and bump and everything else. But I just, never liked that version of Christian's character. It was just so annoying, like to the point where like, it's hard to be entertained by a match, except for when he's getting hit with a diamond cutter, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was an average match for me, not definitely a low light uh, compared to some of the others on the card, but to see DDP work the way that DDP did, I mean, his age did not show. Uh, and, for years after this, I mean, he was still doing it, you know. How old was he in that pay-per-view? Anybody have an idea? 43. Yeah, 44. Yeah, 43. I, I went down this rabbit hole on this pay-per-view as to, for whatever reason, I think it was when I got to the, 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 it was when I got to the Flair match, Flair and Undertaker, because I just wanted to say, I was like, well, how old was Flair when this match happened and how old was Taker? And then I just went down a rabbit hole and did that for like ev- almost every match on everybody who came out. Yeah. See, and I was very surprised at how very little youth was actually served on that card. 
on the on that pay-per-view you know there was only like four or five people at most that were in their 20s uh at, at, at the point of that so but yeah i mean he 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 did look uh look great christian looked huge i yeah, thought that was like the totally biggest shredded. that was like the biggest i think i've ever seen him and i didn't i didn't think it worked for him no too big i think yeah, he, was too big. he was too big on that and i think uh it, it, it's wrestlemania everyone tries to cut up for for yeah. mania because that's the pictures that you get going but i i echo everyone's sentiments i don't think the main note i have about this match is that there's nothing really wrong with it and you take this match and both guys in this era and you put it on a wrestling show 10 years ahead of time and as the card and quality starts to diminish in wrestling compared to now this match would stand out more because there's nothing wrong with this match but you're in a weird transition period for everybody that's involved in here. Christian is less than a year removed from splitting up with edge and going heel. And we'll, one day we will cover the Alliance in the WCW invasion, but that, ha- that split happened unnecessarily right in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like, and they use the, the invasion angle to just give Christian to turn edge babyface and kind of push Christian off to the side. And he would linger there until the aforementioned captain charisma character would actually kind of take over. Uh, and DDP likewise was as hot as hot could be five years before this mm-hmm. and was still doing top knob shit when WCW closed. And then when he gets brought in as the first or second guy, you really see at the invasion angle, it was awesome because he was working with the undertaker but this transition for the motivational speaker babyface Diamond Dallas Page just it wasn't working. And it's not because of anyone else's fault. It's just a shit character. Because that's the one of the notes I have too is that DDP fucking committed to this. He really, in everything he does, he he gives it a hundred percent, which is which is a hallmark of his style. And I would love to cover him more in depth at one point. But he really tried to make the shitty motivational speaker thing work. It just where and yet you're still in the attitude era it's at the end but you're still there why the fuck would this work and if it would why would it work as a baby face yeah right that's his character in real life now yeah it is interestingly yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's not that's you just you just basically said ddp yoga in the entire description yeah for sure for sure doc what were you gonna say i you know it's just an interesting point you made uh about him coming and working with the undertaker and i while although i agree it was cool to see ddp work with the undertaker i would argue and i and i like i said i mentioned a, a couple minutes ago uh watching don dallas page and his entire wwf wwe run was like an exercise in a dropped ball because mm-hmm. if you recall he came back as the stalker of undertakers now ex-wife yeah sarah and it was such a strange out of character revelation because this is Damn Dallas Page. It's funny. We're talking about DDP now in such high regard. What was it? Uh, our Halloween Havoc episode, which I'm now referencing again, another episode. We were never leaving it. Uh, We've never stopped recording uh, it. I'm pretty sure we talked about that was back in DDP's weird gimmick phase where he came yeah. up with literally everything in a trash can with cigar and and a he was the taskmaster of gimmicks. Yeah. Yeah. And for him to go and become as over as he was just, you know, a couple of years later or a year or was a year later. Uh, mm-hmm. but to but to have that character who was over fighting against the NWO and then becoming the world heavyweight champion and kind of being a kind of a big deal to him being a stalker, 
it just doesn't fit. It never fit. And I think it was snake bit from that point forward. His entire run seemed less than ideal and just didn't have any real momentum because he could have had a heavyweight title run, I believe. Oh, for sure. I, I think we'll ultimately one day cover that there's only two guys that really escaped the invasion angle from being brought in with the invasion angle with any kind of damage not done to them. And that would ultimately be Booker T and Rob Van Dam. And everybody else had was too damaged goods. Almost everybody else. And if they did, they never rose high enough in a car to really have too much of a problem, i.e. Tommy Dreamer and everybody else. But it was all all kind of snake bit from there. But I didn't think anything was wrong with this match. Uh, It's just what surrounds the match. There's no Mm -hmm. reason. There's nothing wrong. And it's another guy losing in his hometown, which is on point for for Vince McMahon and their style. So I gave this. 2.5 2.5 wasted diamond Dallas pages out of five. <laughs> our next event, our next match. Again, continuing our, Hey, remember when that was a thing? It's the fucking hardcore title, everybody, <clears throat> because gold dust back from his return at the 2002 Royal rumble in a surprise appearance. So it's one of those things that when you think gold dust never really went anywhere, because he left and came back so many times. From his arrival in 95 to now in 2002 at that point, that you're like, what? where did he go? But he fucking left like six times and got a surprisingly big pop in 2002 when he came back at the Rumble. So he's here on fucking WrestleMania uh, with his gold trash cans, challenging for the hardcore title against defending champion Maven. Because Tough Enough One was brand fucking new at this point. Now, Maven, this is the pinnacle of Maven's career. It's literally, you can watch it, his career, for all intents and purposes, end the minute that Spike Dudley covers him in this match. (laughs) It starts when he wins tough enough. It hits its peak on the mountaintop when he eliminates the Undertaker from the 2002 Royal Rumble. And then immediately ends when Spike Dudley pins him in a match Spike Dudley's not even in, in front of 70,000 people at WrestleMania. But I digress. Hardcore title and all the shenanigans that follow after Doc, what do you think of this one? Uh, I'm going to make this super deluxe quick because I want to talk about something uh, afterwards, uh, not related to this match. But, uh, man, you you could just see how green Maven was. <sighs> and his footwork was bad. His ring awareness was bad. His transitions were bad. He had a great look. He wasn't terrible to talk. You know, he didn't sound awkward and uncomfortable. But the poor guy just... He just looked so inexperienced, understandably. You can't blame him. He is inexperienced. He was not ready for that position he was in. Um, I, the match was all right. It was fun. It was what it was. It was quick. It was short. Thank God. It didn't need to be. It could have been shorter, honestly. Yeah. Um, but what I did want to just kind of spend an extra minute talking about, because uh, we kind of skipped over it, uh, I think, in order, uh, was The Rock's promo. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. If we want to talk about that in order. Then, yes. I, well, I, I just, That's I mean, just we don't fine. have to. I just, I felt the need to just bring out, uh, in my opinion, just how sometimes you forget how over top baby faces were back in those days. And mm-hmm. sweet baby Jesus, Dwayne Johnson could do almost anything he wanted on the microphone, anything. say, do the promo. I mean, did. 50% of the promo wasn't even good. His whole thing with the coach was it was weird to me now looking back on it. The the latter half was fantastic, but the crowd was so into everything he fucking said and did. His his facial expressions, everything. It was it, it's just 
I, I just wrote in my notes, how is this motherfucker this over? Seriously, how? How is it even a thing? How did that even happen? Um, it's just, it was such an, a great promo, and it was and it, it's memorable uh, leading up to such a memorable match. But yeah, Goldust Maven is I. It was like, it happened. It was a fart in the wind. It was. It was. Mac, what do you, you think of this match? So I this is how I felt that match went. So we have Maven. We're trying to make Maven a thing. We're trying to make sure tough enough is a thing. So we're going to go ahead and have him in WrestleMania. No fucking way that guy was ever ready for that. No, no way. No, I mean, no. Not for six months in his career. Not for five years would he be ready for that. All right. So I feel like there's just a whole slew of guys backstage watching the monitors. They got the headsets on and they just said, he's got three strikes. As soon as strike three hits, we're fucking sending uh, Spike Dudley down the ramp to end this match. Now we're going to put, you know, we're going to put Dustin Rhodes in here. You know, who's a good fucking wrestler. Incredible. Who can fucking wrestle with anybody. He's going to call this match. He's going to carry this match. He's going to work you through it. Just don't fuck up. And what does he do? Within the first fucking gold trash can, he misses it and then misses it again. And then fucking Spike Dudley comes down because somebody said, that's it. Get them, get them the fuck out of there. Send Spike in right away. We yep. Send him in. Send him in yesterday. Send him in four seconds ago. You should be reading my mind right now. That's kind of how I felt about that. And, and I said it was it was a merciful pinning, I feel, at that point, uh, just to get that going and to get that out. Um, I said that I enjoyed that match so much that I stopped it to go back and watch The Rock's promo a second time. <laughs> um, that's what I thought of that match. And I felt bad for... for, for I, 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 and there's something about that Goldust character it's it's his theme music. It's the entry. It's the camera. You know, as fucking weird as that character is for him, it totally has always worked. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But yeah, I just went back to watch The Rock be electrifying, and remembering the day when people could get in front of a mic and talk and carry it. Like I, 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 I hate watching WWE wrestlers these days because you can just see them trying to remember their lines as they're doing their promo. And very few guys can feel it and go with what's working and actually use their own personalities and charisma because it's all just force fed to them now. And you look at this card and you look at the people that are on it. None of them were ever force fed. Nope. And I think that that that's part of the reason why this attitude era worked so well is because the cream macho really rose the top. Perfect. Oh, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Jafar, how'd you feel? And since we're talking about it too, how'd you feel about the match and the promo beforehand? Oh, the promo is fantastic. And the the great thing about The Rock in this era, and even now, when that man holds a microphone, people fucking listen and mm-hmm. they eat up every single word. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's talking shit on coach, if he's trying to get Lillian Garcia to sleep with him. Cause that was, a rant. that was an uncomfortable promo, but everyone ate this shit up because it's the rock uh, promo is fantastic match. Not so much. Uh, I think they were trying too hard to push Maven over. Uh, you know, they were trying to pull the tough enough angle in and then they had him eliminate the undertaker in the rumble. So they tried to push a feud and I mean, you can't put a green guy like that in with the fucking undertaker at any point. 
So mm-hmm. like, let's throw them into the pool with all the rejects for the hardcore title. Uh, and he just looked so amateurish, especially compared to Goldust. He's like a seasoned pro. Oh yeah. Uh, and he, he wrestles so well. Um, and you know, fun fact. So the hardcore title it's later this year that that title goes away completely. Same. Even, even though they like yeah. try to thread it throughout the rest of the evening, uh, starting with this match. But yeah, I think if it was anybody that Maven, it probably would have been a little more entertaining to watch. I mean, it wasn't a terrible match, but it certainly wasn't great by any means. Um, no, yeah, 100%. You're right. Both the hardcore title and the European title would be gone by the end of 2002. And if you're paying attention, so would the intercontinental title would not be long for this world as well. They would they would take it away in a unification with the, spoiler alert, for seven, six months from now, the World Heavyweight Championship, and use it to unmask him. We're getting ahead of ourselves. But there's a lot of stuff that's going to change in wrestling after the show is the fucking point Jeff was trying to say. Guy, damn it. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Um, my my absolute favorite thing about the hardcore title is what you did to it, Noah and Herb and Ian fucking Blackburn and Simon <laughs> Pongrantz and everybody else who went into that house. Yeah. Um, dear listeners, <laughs> my my absolute most heartfelt fondness of experiences in our early to mid 20 years was going over to the house on Fallowfield. And just watching the 24-7 hardcore championship that you guys had, that was always, always on the line. And all the different ways you guys would try to pin each other to take possession of the belt. And the things that you had to do to prevent weird shit from happening when people were trying to take possession <laughs> of that belt. That's the key. That, that is That's strange. the important part. Yeah. Talk about talk about forcible entries. Just, <laughs> just, just, just Jones sound a fucking asleep hearing his door fucking crack at four o'clock in the morning with Noah who couldn't stop fucking laughing <laughs> with Ian Blackburn in tow just just try to creep into Herb's room oh, to maybe. fucking pin him while he's sleeping so I, i'm gonna I, it listen we're gonna sidebar we're gonna sidebar we'll get the shit out of the way so many moons ago noah brown and i and a couple other people lived together in a great big house on a somewhat semi-okay part of town uh for one calendar year and for that one calendar year us being big wrestling fans we had a our own hardcore 24 7 title uh for the record i am the longest reigning hardcore 24 7 title in Fowlfield avenue history uh the estate uh, point one before it became the official estate on Anawanda. Uh, so one morning, I, while I was champion, uh, I'm laying in bed, uh, in between sleep, in and out of sleep. It was a little later. It was before I got up for work. Um, I What I used to do to protect my championship is I had this tr- camera tripod, and I would wedge it against my door. So if someone tried to come in, motherfucker, I'd know. So I'm laying in bed half asleep, you know, my alarm may or may not have gone off. I'm trying to, like, you know, sleep it off until it goes off again. And I hear slow creaking in the hallway. And I'm laying there staring at the ceiling. And I hear it. It's like a... Eh, eh. And this is an old rickety house. Everything makes a noise. Everything in this house <laughs> made a noise. And I'm, and I'm fucking laying there. 
And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And now there's like four or five other people in this house that live. I'm like, is somebody creeping to my door or creeping to the laundry room? And I kept hearing the creaking. And eventually there's just silence for like four minutes. And then like a slight jiggle of a handle of my door. And I'm laying, I don't say a word. I'm just laying there waiting. Because at this point I know what the fuck's up. And like, there's like a jiggle, a slight jiggle a heavier jiggle, and then there's like a push, and it hit the, the fucking tripod. And then as soon as it hit the fucking tripod, you just hear, I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> I fucking hear you. And I'm like, uh, but that was back in those days that's what we that's what we did those are good times man those that, were that was great those year. were so fucking fun man those were some of the best times i i i the stories i would hear come out of that house from the times that i wasn't there are yeah. some of the funniest things i've ever heard in my life listen listen we're glad you weren't there for most of them uh but they were good times indeed you know what wasn't a good time however drowning pool performing <laughs> um so i'm not i don't have a whole lot uh, positive to say about it. Uh, the only thing I have, I wrote, there's a point in the song, I think towards the end, I don't even know what the fucking lead singer's name is. Uh, I think he's dead, actually. Rest his soul, if he is. I think he's he is, OD, yeah. maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. R.I.P. But he screams, I can't hear you! And it's because no one cares. <laughs> They're not into this. They don't I, give a shit. No, it was not good. I, 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 want, I really would like to share my next note and a half here verbatim because I feel like it really, I feel like it really just kind of hits about what's happening during this WrestleMania at this time. So, and now ladies and gentlemen, for some reason, drowning pool, Canada felt the same way. (laughs) He's like, I can't hear you. And everybody was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was such an underwhelming performance. Like you could have put fucking Nickelback in there and that place would have came fucking down in 2002, (laughs) but just drowning pool, absolutely nothing. And then meanwhile, back to the hardcore title already in progress, hurricane in quotation mark in parentheses, fuck him, uh, swings out of nowhere uh, to take the belt. And apparently Al Snow was in a box. A whole bunch it. of boxes. Yeah. yeah. Just, just, I, I just, I, I hate Hurricane Helms so much. There's only one wrestler on this planet that I've hated more than hey, Hurricane why, Helms. Why do you hate the Hurricane? What? I why? fucking, I, wa- I went to a SmackDown. Sugar Shane Helms, man. Why do you hate listen, him? Listen, I went to a SmackDown um, in here in Pittsburgh around this time. When Hogan was in my brother and that was the big thing. My brother and I got tickets because Hogan was back in the WWE and we really wanted to go. And Helms had a match that was so fucking bad that he messed up his spots like three times. And of course, because this was the recorded SmackDown on like a Tuesday, not airing on Thursday or Friday, whenever it was at this point, I think it was Thursday night at that point. Um, they just would go ahead and do it again and they would edit it. So you wouldn't see how badly he fucked up. And I just, I just couldn't handle it. Like we actually, 
it was such a bad smackdown. My brother and I actually left before Hogan came out because we just couldn't we just couldn't deal with it. It's the only time I've ever left a wrestling show in my life. Um, and Helms was the dead centerpiece of that. I'm like, this fucking piece of shit just ruined that whole like that whole experience for us. It was it was just really bad. And I've hated him ever since. I, I hate the hurricane gimmick. You know, I fucking I, love it. I, I just <laughs> I, I hated it. I I hated the suit. I hated the mask. I hated the cape. I, I just hated all of it. I I don't know. It's just every time I see that person, I just want to just punch him right square in his face. So yeah, I thought him. I knew you, Dave. Yeah, I thought I understood you. It's so overly <laughs> aggressive for no reason. It's it yeah. I don't I don't get it. You know, there's certain there are just certain things, there's certain like sounds, there's certain beats, there are certain frequencies that just just set you off, right? And fucking hurricane helps is that for me. I don't I don't know why. I've never quite understood. But even seeing even talking about him now, I'm feeling the rage like just inside just fucking boil <laughs> because i'm like this pay-per-view is going pretty well until motherfucker swings in on a rope a foot and a half off the ground Fuck, uh, it was hilarious it was God, no no <laughs> but, but all right I, listen yeah. I, I understand listen i really enjoyed as much as i didn't like that hardcore match i really enjoyed all the backstage shenanigans because it added a little bit of levity to the show. Yeah. Because yeah. the show was very serious, obviously. It was. But it, the best part about all those backstage vignettes, we're going to get to it at some point, is that I get to see Molly Holly over and over again, which was it's always a joy to see Molly Holly do pretty much anything because I think she's hilarious and she's really just a fun character, especially Mighty Molly, rather. Um, but uh, yeah, fuck Drowning Pool and that whole... Uh, actually, no, no, real quick. No, I do want to say one thing. Um, hats off to the entire whoever's in charge of the whole performance not because of the performance itself but the idea because they basically were doing you know a story like a very i wouldn't say like ahead of its time as it wasn't but you don't no one does that maybe because it just doesn't work but they were playing clips of the storyline while drowning pool was playing uh and i think that's really cool that they were trying something so different yeah. uh, it didn't turn out right. I mean, it was just a, not a, maybe a, not, it was if it was a better uh, uh, artist or group or act, it would have come across better. But I thought that was a really cool idea, though. So I'll give them, you know, their flowers for that. They did that with uh, saliva and the opening number as well, too. They kind of recapped all the major feuds as they were playing in the background. You wouldn't notice because you were trying everything. You could not to fucking pay attention to saliva <laughs> the well entire time they were going on. Here's a fun fact about Drowning Pool's Tear Away. Uh, my original idea was to do a version of that song as an intro, but it is impossible to make that song in any way, shape, or form about you fucking the second channel. It was like Thank forcing it. You one would say that trying to fit that into that song would be forcible entry, and I just I couldn't fucking abide by it. So, listen, I would I would rather see her in all its glory fuck the second channel than one more second of Hurricane Helms. Sign me up. You fucking whore. Listen. What it is, you slut. Yeah. You leave the hurricane out of it. You fucking. Listen, I, I we just established Dave hates Hurricane Hell. I, know, I hate I know. Hurricane Hell. Noah's always know. known. Noah's yeah. always known. We've had conversations about this. It's unfounded. And some may say even hurtful. <laughs> but, but Hurricane Helms. Noah, uh, I'm going to give you 50 cents for this. 
Fuck you. <laughs> wow. Well, okay then. All right. Well, well played. Well played. Guess what though? It's time for our next match because, and there's a lot of matches on this show that just seem to happen, not because they're for a title and not because there's any real storyline involved, but because you have all these guys because it's the fucking attitude era and you can't have WrestleMania without them on the show. So for some fucking reason, it's Kurt Angle versus Kane. And for some fucking reason, this is the best match of Kane's career. Is what it says. Uh, it's well, there's there's a reason it's the best match. Of yeah, Kane's for career. sure. Like like of all the matches he's ever been in, and he's been in a couple of okay ones, right? But hands down, and I didn't even realize this was the best match of Kane's career until I was fucking watching this match. But Jafar, what did you what did you think of Kurt Angle versus Kane? This was a great match, man. Start to finish, solid all the way through. The athleticism show that guys could bump off each other. And I loved Kurt Angle in this era. Uh, The Olympic hero, Kurt Angle. Um, And it was just a solid match start to finish. I I loved this match. I thought it was fantastic. Fantastic. Mac, what did you think of this? Jeff, did you know that the medal that Kurt Angle wore to the ring was not an actual Olympic gold medal? No. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Not until I watched this. I always thought that it was, you know, his gold medals were just legit gold. No, I'm just kidding. Of course. (laughs) Um, This is so. I have this as listed as my second favorite, the second best. My all right. It's my (laughs) second. It's it's. See, this is the thing, right? This is the best match of the night. Wrestling performance. The actual wrestling, the actual of a match of two wrestlers in peak physical condition, being able to go ahead and do a match. This is the best of the entire show. It is the second best match of the show, in my opinion. Um, We obviously can probably all figure out what the number one was. Mm -hmm. Um, Kurt Angle, first off, fucking like just he got it. He, you know, not being a professional wrestler, no. trying his hand at the sports on Fox News after the gold medal, uh, not being able to read a cue card to save his life. No. But you put <laughs> that guy in front of a camera in a wrestling ring and have him shit all over the Paris figure skating team of Canada from 2002 that got screwed out of a gold medal and then cried their way back into it. Um to just get that heat. And I think that's part of the reason why this match worked so well is that he placed himself so perfectly to get that kind of heat, to get the crowd going and get the crowd into it. And I just think the energy fed into everything else that happened in that match. Um, I love that match, that running, that fucking running slam he did right at the end when he just sprinted to the rope yeah, and got him sprung up got on the, it. Got the got the angle slam in was just so fucking great. Um, yeah, as you said, this is the best match of Kane's career. I didn't know it until I saw it, and I said, "Yeah, it's very clear because Kurt Angle's in the match. Yep. The guy could fucking <laughs> carry it. The, the the guy could just wrestle a broomstick and give me a five star match every single time. I had this match rated five mil cartons out of five. Very nicely done. Very nicely done. Yeah, there's a couple of things here that uh, that I wanted to say is that it's interesting because when you remember what these guys, when you when I just say in any era, picture Kane 
and picture Kurt Angle. You picture Kurt Angle probably with no hair and Kane exactly as he is in this match. And But for a lot of intensive purposes, this is <coughs> Angle doesn't have the experience yet that he would have years later, but it, he's not beat up enough. So this is Kurt Angle just literally doing whatever it takes to fucking get the match through. And my biggest problem with Kane, my entire life, from whether he was the Unabomber in Smoky Mountain or fucking Isaac Yankum DDS in the new generation or Kane throughout the rest of the time, my biggest problem with Kane is that uh, if there's one guy on any fucking show that just decides that he's not going to bump today, it's almost always Kane, right? Doesn't take the pedigree ever. To, finds a way out of every fucking thing. Doesn't even kneel for the stunner. Just bends over. Shit like that, right? Uh, but when you're wrestling Kurt Angle, you have no fucking choice but the bump today. You have no choice. And seeing Angle get Kane over for that triple German, that's a big motherfucker. And yep. that's a lot of gas and a lot of strength to get that guy going. And, you know, as we were saying, this, is, uh, this isn't the best match of Kurt Angle's career by any stretch of the imagination. But it's almost certainly Kane's best match he's ever had. And it's reflective. And the crowd, because if you're like, oh, here's a random mid middle of the show, WrestleMania match between Kurt Angle and Kane. And I'd be like, okay. And they'd be like, tell me how the crowd is. I'd be like, well, they'll be so-so. Oh, no. They were fucking ready for it. They're ready for, for Kane being the baby face in 2002 and had the fucking crowd going. When Kane grabbed Kurt Angle by the throat, that's like half, that's like the second biggest pop of a night today. Is it's for a fucking choke slam, but they fucking worked their ass off. I loved it. Uh, my only problem with the match is the finish. This is the very last spot in the finish. Is that it's I don't know if Kane uh, overrolled Kurt underrolled. Who fucking knows? But for as uh, for a guy that big and that kind of a half ass roll up to end it, that's the only thing to me that knocked this match down a little bit is that it just it was so hot all the way through but the crowd still they the finish happened so fast that the crowd didn't have time to to get pissed off about it because the show's moving along uh, i was surprised how long the match got it got like a little over 10 minutes i think yep. that's where it was so you gave regal and rvd six and a half minutes you gave this match 10 minutes and normally i'd be like fuck you for doing that uh but it was warranted in this one so uh jones what, what are your thoughts on kane Versus Kurt Angle. So, uh, man, do I miss the old school Kurt Angle? Uh, the match, I thought, uh, considering, you know, it's Kane, but let's not forget Kane is an incredibly seasoned veteran by this point. He's been around the block several times uh, with various gimmicks. I thought that match was more than serviceable. I think Kane brought his A game, you know, such as a general consensus, it seems like. Uh, I think that Angle, as always, does what he does, is the wrestling machine, shows off, is like the second to Mr. WrestleMania. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the I think the best part of the whole match is anytime uh, Kurt Angle does the, like the burst run up the, the, the turnbuckle and does a belly to belly, is a good match, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, I was trying to explain to my wife the importance of Kurt Angle in professional wrestling and how impressive his resume is and how quickly he took to the mat and how how quickly you figure what he's only what three years really in at this point. Um, yeah, that's incredibly impressive to be at WrestleMania at that point. Uh, uh, so uh, it was a good match, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Kane got a chance to have such an excellent match with such an excellent performer. 
you know, Jones, you mentioned about just Kurt Angle's ascension. You know, let's not be remiss that WrestleMania 19, you know, one year away, you've got uh, Kurt Angle against uh, Brock Lesnar, right? That's the main mm-hmm. event, That's the, right? That goes on last. Yeah, It goes on last, you know? So just at this point in time, 365 days from now, give or take, he's headlining. He's main eventing. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about an ascension. There's mm-hmm. so Agreed. many, so many aspects that are different for everybody involved. As we get into to WrestleMania 19, the differences between 17, 18 and 19 might be the three starkest changes in wrestlemania history because in 17 we're austin versus the rock is your headliner right this is just before wcw is uh, just after wcw was purchased right before it ever gets going now here we are wcw is dead and gone the invasion is over and this is the last show of the attitude era and then uh by wrestlemania 19 that's austin's last match that's Shawn michaels first wrestlemania back that's Brock Lesnar's first wrestlemania you've got eddie guerrero has come back from the his his exile and is now coming back into prominence lots of stuff changing uh but that's next time uh, i enjoyed this match though too ultimately i gave it three and a half kane has to finally take a fucking bump out of five so that's where that's where we are more hardcore title action for some reason hurricane gets a boner yeah it's it's timely since we were just <laughs> talking about ascension uh, oh, he, yeah. he goes into the godfather's uh dressing room the ho train is randomly getting naked for some reason and hurricane is behind the shades getting a boner yeah there's no point to this fucking segment and i don't really see that there's much point to fucking talking about it any longer especially because the next match real quick what (laughs) what What the f- <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. That is, that is Christ. I mean, that this is why this is going to be our first two-parter episode in 24 episodes. Listen, the yeah. fucking Halloween Havoc has shown up randomly twice and just played itself. So I feel like this is my only way of, pro- of like trying to combat that from happening by having just another split episode. No, you said there was really no point to it. I think there is a point to it because, as you said, this is the end of the Attitude Era. Like, that didn't hit to me. It felt very unnecessary. It felt very forced. And I think that kind of plays into the fact that the Attitude Era is ending. You know, we're just going to randomly have women just taking their clothes off and talking about themselves, which made no fucking sense. And then a really stupid fucking dick joke by the fucking useless as a fucking vagina right here, Hurricane Helms. Oh, God. Just showing up. It's like, yeah, Attitude Era WWF shows up. Puppies, dick choke, Godfather. And then we move on. Like just and I'm happy that we move on because it's it's over. Yeah, the no, Attitude Era is over. Dave, it's fucking not. Because <sighs> of all the good stuff we enjoy about the Attitude Era that died with this show, fucking the gratuitous use of women and no real storyline sense continues on for years oh it does the wrestlemania 19 the bud light girls have a fucking match against two <laughs> wrestlers there's eric bischoff when he becomes raw general manager would introduce hla hot lesbian action we're not fucking done with that by a country mile i think <clears throat> if we're going on about this segment for some fucking reason, the Undertaker lobby so that Charles Wright, the Godfather, could get an appearance and therefore gets himself a WrestleMania payday because that's one of his boys. That's right. So now, as we've spent way too long on this <laughs> unnecessarily, 
we're going to talk about something that actually matters. We're going to talk about Ric Flair facing off against the Undertaker with love of God, please. <laughs> oh, yes. That? Okay, That'd we, be amazing. Maybe, maybe we'll do that. Of course we fucking will. Because Thank this you. match, this feud, there's a lot of stuff in this show that didn't get a lot of time to develop between the Rumble and Mania. This fucking match did. And it fucking shows. And this mm-hmm. match fucking goes. Now, I want to know what everyone has to think about it. But I also want to say that this is the first like real video package we get about a specific match as it goes on. It absolutely pays off dividends. It's that WWF trailer-esque quality, catch you up on everything. So if you've not watched since last WrestleMania, this is a match you're supposed to care about, and we're going to help you care about it and shit. And it's just, it's just so good. It just, And it's Ric Flair when he's motivated. And it's Undertaker when you think he's much older than he is during this match, but it's two guys at the fucking peak of their time. It's excellent. Jafar, what would you think of The Undertaker versus Ric Flair? Yeah, the first thing I had on my notes was how great that fucking recap package was. And like you said, it made you care, even if you didn't know the storyline, it made you care. And it was great, like, us going back and watching it 20 years later, like, it immediately, like, sucked you back in. Like, yeah, and you, like start firing on all synapses like yeah i remember when that happened i remember that happened i remember when the undertaker choked his kid out in the bathroom stall um but the mat but the match <laughs> it happened and also was, he did it to it someone else in the storyline did you did you no did you just have as you heard that did you just think of jones and the sega channel in a cd in a cd bathroom just him choking it out yeah, it, it looked clean from what I could a, tell, it was at the it was at the original Tough Enough Training Warehouse. So I had, I'm sure they had like Barry Horowitz or some of the mid carders cleaning that thing. But I mean, it makes me upset. First of all, this match was so good that it made me uh, completely forget and not upset that David Flair was ever a thing. But I'm sure that the Undertaker is so respected that you're going to find that he choked out multiple young men in multiple bathrooms, and no one would bat an eye. I mean, the Attitude Era was a strange time. But he walked around with trench coat and leopard skin pants crying out loud. Yeah. But anyways, I digress. So <laughs> yes. I, th- I thought it was uh it was a great match. I mean, it's it's fun to watch Flair wrestle when he's fully committed yeah. to wrestling and what he's capable of pulling off. Um uh, and he bled so much, man. Like <laughs> his face matched his trunks at one point, and it, it was just gushing, you know, once it moved outside. Uh, the one bump that I wanted to bring up is because he took a ton of hard bumps in the corner specifically, but when he took that superplex off the top rope, oh, oh, so mm-hmm. like, and it, it looked so good, like the way that they sold that. And then Arn Anderson comes out, gets fucked up instantly. <laughs> um, and, and the undertaker gets the tombstone finish, but I thought it was interesting up until that point. You know, us being wrestling fans for so long, how much everyone talks about the streak, but the streak wasn't even mentioned until the very end of that match when they're like, oh, yeah, this is his 10th win at WrestleMania. He's 10 and 0 now. And and now that's such that after this match, it played so heavily into every storyline every time. I thought it was it was a subtle 10 count at the end to sort of launch the streak from this point forward. Good, good observation. Good observation. Mac, thoughts on this thing? 
Uh, you, you, you took everything uh, that I was going to say there, Jeff, almost verbatim. Um, I, this was my third uh, match of the night, my third best match. Um, for the storytelling premise, you know, alone, um, you know, not necessarily, there, there wasn't a lot of wrestling in this match necessarily. There was a lot of just beating the shit out of each other, mm-hmm. but not like a lot of wrestling, but the story they told. And, and, you know, I, I, I marked that when you, when you, when you blade, when Ric Flair bleeds, his hair, that platinum hair just fucking becomes something else entirely, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a whole thing. And I, and I was just kind of, as I was watching this, I'm like, it, this wouldn't happen for anybody else. It wouldn't look this way. But it just, it sold the storyline too much. And I love, too, that Taker just, because the juxtaposition of Taker having a little fucking nick on his cheek. Yeah. Just a little stream of blood coming down. And Flair just looking like he just fucking got out of the Kool-Aid jar um, was just was just insane. Right? Yeah, I, I did make a note about that because good old JR, and I quote verbatim, there is blood running down his left cheek, and I ain't talking about his backside, King. <laughs> thanks for clarifying jim <laughs> yeah very much um yeah that i i had that same note too jeff about the superplex i thought that was just an insane move that they did off the top rope looked so good um you know arn anderson out of nowhere just the spine buster was solid um i just really liked everything that this match did i like that you know i just i like that that they gave Undertaker that angle to. I remember when they were coming up and you kind of hear in some of Undertaker's interviews when he's like, well, who do you want to, who do you want to wrestle in this pay-per-view? Cause they didn't really have a lot going for them before all this. Um, he said, we can give you some up and comer or you can wrestle flair. And he's like, fuck, I want to wrestle flair. And just everything from that point in that decision is it was, it's the second most memorable match of the, of the night and mm-hmm. would have been probably the signature match of the night. If it wasn't for what, you know, came later. 100%. Doc, thoughts on this bad boy? I'm, I'm keen because Arn Anderson's in this match, Doc. Listen, man, you know how I feel about double A. Uh, so <clears throat> it, it's interesting. I think as we get towards the end of the card, we're all going to be having a lot of the same things to say, or at least in a similar vein. Uh, so as I probably wrote more notes about this. No, I know I wrote more notes about this match than any other match on the card. Mm. Uh when you think, when I think of the Undertaker, I think of the old guard. Uh, I think of, you know, the guy. Uh, he is the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest WWF superstar of all time. Um, and 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 that's not because of any other reason other than he's the greatest creation Vince has ever had. Um, with legs that had just somehow been able to reinvent himself over and over and over again. Um a couple things, and, and we're going to, spoiler alert, at some point soon, talk about The Undertaker in far more detail. So I don't really want to get too deeply into this because I could talk about this dude's career for hours, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, what he's been able to accomplish. Um, but, you know, Jeff was right. I mean, the streak, I mean, it was it was a thing for sure, but it really started to transcend and become its own title, became its own championship, became its own strap leading into 10 and 0, 11 and 0 and so on. Uh, I think that, and that again, a conversation for another time, but as far as this match is concerned, I wrote 
uh, uh, the irresistible force meaning the immovable object. Uh, this story, this story was so good mm-hmm. from just wrestling. Ric Flair cannot beat The Undertaker. He just can't. Few people can beat The Undertaker. Flair is whatever age he was. Undertaker is far younger, far stronger, far faster. Uh, and, and honestly, watching Undertaker sell for Ric Flair was such a showing of respect because he sold for him like a motherfucker when he really didn't have to. But the respect that he has for what Ric Flair has been able to accomplish in his story career, he sold for him like Ric Flair was 6'5", 275. I thought that was really cool to watch. Yeah. Uh, a couple other little notes. That superplex that I think everybody fucking marked mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically wrote, in quotations, the damnedest superplex I've ever witnessed. Good old fucking JR, man. Dude, just as money and all behind the mic. Because it really was the damnedest I'd seen in a long time. Um, and there was actually a moment that I thought was really funny. And I feel confident it was not on purpose because of their reaction to it. If Flair pulls out the lead pipe, he's going to town on the Undertaker. And then Undertaker pushes him into the apron. And the, the pipe just starts rolling across the ring. You can watch the boat just watch the fucking pipe They watch the pipe away. go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, they probably have more planned with that fucking pipe. Yep. Not any fucking more. <laughs> Time to call an audible. Yeah, just go. Uh, I lo- I've actually watched it like three times as I just kept laughing at it because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's a live fire exercise, folks. Uh, but I thought, you know, the match was excellent. The facial expressions, both of them were selling everything. Undertaker's frustration, the fact that he had a beat like two times. Now nah, I'm going to pin him. Now nah, I'm going to beat his ass a little more. And yes, Arn Anderson, that fucking spine buster, still one of my favorite moments in WrestleMania history. That is a WrestleMania moment to me. For that man to come out of retirement for, you know, six seconds and give a hellacious spine buster on a big motherfucker uh, like uh, Undertaker was incredibly uh, impressive. So I think the match, honestly, and, and I agree, Dave, had it not been for Rock and Austin, uh, this would be the match of the night by far, without mm-hmm. question. Uh, I just thought it was excellent. And I could keep talking about it, I won't, but it's just such a good, just a great match all around. Yeah, Jones, Flair was 53. Taker, Taker, Taker was 36, 37. That's wild. I'm older right? than him. Yeah, that's scary. That's weird. And I'm I, older now than he was at that point. I've thought a lot about that when watching this pay-per-view. Um, I love the finish that he went for the last ride flair kind of r- wiggled out of it and then no, fuck it. Tombstone, you know, done. so I'm going to jump in there. Uh, spoiler for the end of my, my rant about this match. That's the only thing that stopped this match from being the first five match. I ever gave a five-star rating in, in on any time we've ever gone to the show, just because, by the time you had been 18 minutes into this match of a fucking war, Flair bumped nonstop for all 18 minutes. This is a 60-minute guy, but with the blading, he just didn't have the juice to get up for the last ride at that point. And that's the only reason it's not a perfect fucking match. Because being real for a second, when you're trying to describe a match that isn't about arm drags and top rope hurricanas or table spots just trying to tell a fucking story and doing as little as you can technique wise but as much as you can action wise at the same time this is almost a perfect fucking match the set the vignette that sets the thing up is perfect 
and you get Ric Flair. He comes out in his robe, but he ain't strutting. He ain't styling and profiling. He goes right after the goddamn man. He tries to single leg the Undertaker <laughs> when he slides in the ring. And it ends up where he gets, he takes the Undertaker over to the table and he's just pounded on the Undertaker bumps for Flair over the table and lets Flair pound on him to start the match hot at Mania. And and I will go into the fact that this is the Flair that Flair, you could tell from basically the time he went back to WCW in 94 and put Hogan over. And then he just started slowly declining because the NWO was coming up and there wasn't really anything for him. This is the this is the match, and this is the style of flair that he had been wanting to be for almost a decade. And he got to do it in the WWF with this run, with the match with Vince at the Rumble, and now here at Mania with the, the fucking guardian of the WWF, The Undertaker. And so flair was motivated. And as Jafar, as you said earlier, when, a, uh, when you have a motivated Ric Flair, there's really not much you can't do with, with the match. That being said, The Undertaker. Right. He's the fucking Undertaker. And there's so many um, iconic wrestling moments that have that man in it. And I know what I'm about to say is a little sacrilege because we all love the dead man. And I know that the dead man with his urn and the hell in a cell matches and that iconic black hat, long trench coat wearing Undertaker is the most popular and it is the definitive version of the Undertaker. But when he was this version of the undertaker not the baby face long haired kind of a hobo at a waffle house looking american badass <laughs> the short haired big red bully version of the undertaker he was as comfortable in that role as he's been ever ever in any of his iterations he didn't have to be slow he could be arrogant he talked Better in this era than he ever talked in any of his other stuff. And the way he conducted his matches for this like eight to 10 month run was incredible. This is the era too, that after this, he would get Jeff Hardy over in mm-hmm. that ladder match. He would get Rob Van Dam over and he would elevate. He, he, and spoiler alert, two months from now, he's a world heavyweight champion because how over as a heel this guy was. And he would keep that until the rock would come back from his, little scorpion king action and then the rise of brock lesnar returned the undertaker babyface but this version was so fucking good and so if you have the rare babyface rick flair and then the rare heel american badass style undertaker and it worked on all cylinders and yes that motherfucking superplex which could have been the finish you could you could have saved that for the finish because they came down undertaker went to the top rope to post off of that he didn't do a second rope he didn't half-ass it. He was motivated, too. And it came down like a hammer. And the only reason why I don't think it was a believable near fall is because Ric Flair is still old school as shit and sold that, like, sitting up. You know, if he had dead sold it, you would have got a you would have got a believable near fall out of that for the finish. And it was so good. And then Art Anderson, yes, if you're, like, name, name three moments from WrestleMania 18, obviously I'm going to talk about Rock and Hogan and the fucking monster crowd reactions that happened. And I'm going to talk about the the very iconic moment of the entrances for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I think right there, the Arn Anderson spine buster is awesome. But yeah, the only thing that stops this from being a five-star match to me is the fact that Flair just couldn't get up for the last ride. At that point, yeah. and it's, you know, but you don't care. Doesn't It's not a botch. I wouldn't say it's botched the way that maybe Kurt Angle and Kane's match was kind of botched with the finish or that, you know, the C-Jazz and Trish Stratus later and 
in the show and some of that stuff that would happen. I it it was it was almost perfect. It was God, I'm just so mad that it wasn't perfect. But it was iconic. If, if Rock and Hogan weren't on the show, it would easily be the best match on the show. And it was uh, if I had to send somebody to watch this show, I would say you got to watch it for Rock and Hogan. But please, please watch Flair and Undertaker for me. Do it for me. Call me. Call me when you get home <laughs> and call me after you get done watching it because I need to tell you about Arn Anderson. But I give this match and yes, the streak. They mention it a little bit too when he comes out. He's like, oh, he's 9 0 at WrestleMania. Um, but this match to me is the first time you really realize that you got, we, we know you have Jim Ross on commentary and Jerry the King Lawler, but you fucking feel it because he's motivated with two guys he loves are in there. And this is where JR just is like, fuck it, take, unbutton my pants, pull my dick out, and, uh, and, and it's going to be rock hard for the remainder of the goddamn game. Oh my God. It's wearing okay. a cowboy hat. He is. That's the reason why that table doesn't break. It's because he's he's posting it up from there. With see, with, 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 see, he's got a boomer sooner. <clears throat> Jeff, you he's say got a boomer sooner. <laughs> Jeff, you say cowboy hat. I I look at it as the alien in at the end of Spaceballs who has the top hat and a cane, and he's just doing hello, my baby, hello, my honey, hello, my ragtime gal. Like that's how I picture Noah's dick after that match. <laughs> Change my order to the soup. Uh, <laughs> But it's 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 super good. Everything about it is great, and I give this match four point seven five American badasses out of five. In the, I don't even care that I had to sit through Limp Biscuit twice during the course of this match. Uh, don't even yeah. care. That's that's how good. good. That's how good Taker was. You didn't even care about Limp Biscuit. You don't even <laughs> care. I fucking oh god. I'd watch. I would watch this match again out of context. Just because it was so good, I'm sure we'll notice other stuff there too. Oh, also, and kudos that so one last little tiny storyline thing. So Ric Flair had uh his son and his best friend get destroyed by the Undertaker leading up to this match. And then Undertaker destroys Ric Flair's best friend in the match again, and Ric Flair. And then because he's the Undertaker and he's a big heel, little Nate Charles Robinson gets straight fucked up at the end of this match, <laughs> just because he looks a little bit like Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a heel. <laughs> That's that's ah, a so heels heel. That's a man's man heels heel. Um, do we want? Do we need to mention the fact that uh, the I got to mention the fact that following this is Michael Cole in his best looks sort of like he's the rejected TRL guy with his tips and his era interviews Booker T, who is not sure what gimmick he's doing here oh. at WrestleMania. <laughs> he's like Edge said, "I'm not smart, so I'm wearing glasses." The least valuable player in this entire pay-per-view was Cole's frosted tips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, iconic. Iconic. But now we're we're gearing into the match that is infamously supposed to be about a Japanese shampoo commercial. It's Edge and Booker T. And that sounds like a lame intro for me, but it's not. It's the fucking truth. And you can't even blame Vince Russo for this. I'm going to blame Bruce Pritchard just, just because I can. He's he's probably the only one. It's a match about a Japanese shampoo commercial. It's Booker T versus Edge. Jones, what did you think about this one? Man, Booker is so fucking good. So good. Um, like, look, I thinking about it now, you know, and we 
frequently revisit a lot of these guys in the WCW times, their WWE or WWF times. Um, there are actually, if you really take a step back, eliminate your fandom. Because while I'm a fan of Booker T, he's not on like my shortlist of greatest of all time. But there are few, I'm talking legitimately few professional wrestlers uh, in the history of like mainstream professional wrestling that can be uh, a funny heel, a serious heel, a sympathetic baby face, a badass baby face. Like, dude has the height, the size, he can talk. Mm-hmm. He can talk in such a way that he sounds unique unto himself without trying to sound unique unto himself. He's fucking athletic as a motherfucker. Booker T is one of those guys that can wrestle pretty much anybody from Edge, who's not the most technically sound guy, to a guy like Chris Benoit. You know, Booker T, and I know he gets his due here and there, but I really want to give him his flowers on this because, dude, like, that's whole gimmick, or this deal he had with Steve Austin, you know, fighting in the grocery store. Like, dude is funny, but he can also be an absolute badass when he mm-hmm. wants to be. He can turn it on, and he's ready to go. Or he could be, you know, WrestleMania 19, sympathetic fucking baby face, and you want to root for him. Like, I think... The mat- Booker T rarely has a bad match, pretty much ever. He like, literally never has a bad match. Um, he's solid. He's incredibly solid. Edge, talk about Christian. We were saying earlier about the size he had. Edge, I forgot how big he was mm-hmm. for a while. I was like, look, I was like, that's a young, jacked up Edge, uh, actually. Um, I'll always, I'll always appreciate this match. It wasn't terrible. It was good. It was short. It was unnecessarily was. short. And, I, and it bothers me because if they, these guys had six to eight more minutes, they could have told a hell of a better story than they had time to tell. Uh, but I, I thought it was great, man. Booker Man does and Edge does what he does. Good stuff. Jafar, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I echo what Joan said about Booker T. I love Booker T, man. Like all the way back to his Harlem Heat days in WCW. Just I love watching that dude work. Uh, and he can fucking work for a big dude. Uh, and he can be super genuine, but super menacing at the same time, uh, which is something I always loved about his character. Uh, Edge, you know, for for Edge being Edge, who me personally have never been a, a big fan of Edge. I wasn't super excited to uh, see him in this match, but him and Booker T played off each other really well. Um, you know, it was it was a solid match, a weak ass finish. Uh, also, Edge is a bitch. Uh, Fuck you. From that. All right. All right. I'll let you go now. <laughs> Fuck you. Well, that was unexpected. You come in my house, and you spit in my wife's mouth, and then you make fun of Edge. That's strike three, motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> but you can keep going. You can keep going. You're entitled to your opinion. This is, I mean, this is partially America. Keep going. Yeah. No, I, I, that's all. Just want, to, just want to throw that out there. Just wow. <laughs> uh, oh, you think you know me, uh, Mac? What do you think about this? I I almost don't want to follow that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was almost too good where it is. Um, I agree that you guys both uh, mentioned that this match. This is a uh, this is a weird part in the card, right at mm-hmm. this point because you've had. A great match with Kurt Angle and Kane. And then you have another great match with Undertaker and Flair. 
both of these, I mean, we're talking 30 minutes for those two matches, right? So we're getting to a point where the card's going to start getting heavy, but we still have these crazy matchups that are going to go. And not, you know, not every one of these matchups is going to get 15, 20 minutes. Uh, it, even though on almost any other pay-per-view, it should. Uh, and in today's WrestleMania, they would add a third day if they had this card. Yeah. <laughs> WrestleMania month is, is what it really comes down to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just it just felt it just felt like a short match. It felt like this needed it needed to have a little bit more time. These guys deserved more time. Um, and yeah, I, I, I echo the sentiments about Booker T. Um, I just like his look. Like the he, so he looks like a million dollars. Yeah. He he's you know when you look at him, he's a big guy. But he but he's not big at the expense of, of how a lot of guys can be big and just they're just big. Mm-hmm. Um, you just see how he moves. You see how how just smooth he is in the ring, uh, how agile he is. You know, it's just a it's a it's there. There are a few guys that have all of that. Um, and, and it was very effortless for him in a lot of ways. So. Um, but yeah, just uh, wish this match might have appeared on a different card. And and maybe had a little bit more time to kind of build into something, you know. One hundred percent. You put this match on backlash the next month, and it gets twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and you can really you can bring the house down. But I mean, we can't can't overlook um, the fact that this match is a vehicle for Edge in Toronto, his hometown, in front of seventy thousand people, and they were they had committed to Edge being the next big baby phase. They're, they're like, we're it's a long term plan. We're going to develop this. And they had strapped the rocket to Edge um, right at the beginning of the invasion. Because you got to think, this is, we're still, last year at this time, was the culmination of the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian ladder matches. And and that just elevated everyone and stole. And who won those matches every single fucking time? But the Edge fans. And yeah, the fans did, yes. Fans. But Edge and Christian, which should absolutely, in retrospect, tell you about who they saw as the stars long-term coming out of that. And this was this was designed to be a vehicle for Booker T to be the, the Booker T in it up and be the heel and for Edge to be the plucky baby face that, that overcomes. Uh, I, I thought the match was good. Again, this is just, to me, reminded me a lot of the Christian Diamond Dallas Page match. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Uh, did, it, did it have enough time to make it special? No. But to go back and I can't find anything other than maybe the the slight timing of the finish, it, it, I'm nitpicking that there's anything wrong. It just there wasn't other than Edge was still so young and still had such a long way to go. And Booker was, is to me, if I had to top five underrated wrestlers of all time, it's Booker T, which is a shame to say because the dude made a fucking lot of money. He's a six, seven time world champion, right? And he's still underrated because he's, you said it right. Perfect. There's no role that he couldn't play. Jones, you were absolutely right. He could be King Booker was so fucking ridiculous and it worked so well that he won the title with it. And then mm-hmm. this post invasion asshat Booker T fucking worked well. <laughs> then <laughs> rugged baby face Booker T worked great. Should have won the belt the next year from Triple H at Mania. It's one of the great injustices of booking. And then, uh, you know, uh, plucky, super funny baby face with Goldust Booker T worked more than it ever should have. And I think that defines his. His role in this match, um, you, but ultimately you, a vehicle for for two reasons: to get Edge over in Toronto and to get that shitty Rob Zombie song over. 
with the forcible entry being a distant third, yet another plug for the goddamn rape CD that they're selling here in Toronto in 2002. But again, okay, just fine. I give this match 2.75 Japanese shampoo commercials out of five. You know, it, it's unfortunate that this match has to be between Flair and Undertaker oh, yeah. and, and then fucking Stone Cold via versus the Outsiders, basically. Yeah, right? There, there's two. There's only two dead spots in this entire show. And this match is in one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because why would you would it be sandwiched between all the main events? This is this is where it is. I mean, you could say that the tag match is in a dead spot, too. But I think that's also because you chose to make that tag match. So it could you could you could have lifted it up after the Austin match, but yeah, for sure, guys. I don't want to be that really unpopular motherfucker, but I kind of feel like we're going a little long with the episode, and uh, it's been a while. But I think I think you know what that means. Wait, what does that I mean? Do. It means two thick, meaty parts in your ear holes, because we're gonna have to cut this one in half and and start again. Part two coming up. Are you guys ready for it? I don't fucking care. So- so what you're I saying that bed, then I'll be ready. <laughs> so so what you're saying, Noah, that we, we just hit a two count. Two count. Oh, and we're kicking out. Nine, nine. We're kicking out. Yeah, we're kicking, we're out. kicking out. It's a it's a it's, it's a false finish. It's not over yet. <laughs> yep. Foot's on the rope. Well, that and you know what? The match will continue, as will our discussion on WrestleMania X8. Trust me, we got something huge coming up in the second half for the one person who would ever listen to this and doesn't know what's coming up on this show. So stick around, guys. You ready for this part two? Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. All right. Nothing good. <laughs> 